Welcome to Bloom Together, the podcast where we cultivate education leadership, innovation, and impact, one conversation at a time. Join us as we learn from visionary leaders, share inspiring stories, and uncover strategies that drive meaningful change in K-12 education throughout Idaho and beyond. Greetings and good day to our podcast listeners. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Bloom Together. Today we're at Mosaics Public Charter School and joining me today are Anthony Haskett, Principal at Mosaics, and Debbie Foster, the Director of Learning and Culture. Did I get that title right? Yes, you did. All right, nailed it. Well, as always, when we we start a podcast here on Bloom Together, we like to start with story to kind of set the stage. So I'm going to lean over and see if Debbie would be willing to share a story to get us started today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Our opening year of Mosaics in 2020, we had selected the Lucy Calkins units of study, and we also purchased the phonics component that went with it. And we were about two weeks into school, and I walked into one of our first grade teachers' classrooms to just have a conversation about how phonics was going, because I just hadn't seen a lot of it um, exhibiting itself yet in any of the teaching I'd been observing. And when I walked into her room, I asked her, how's phonics going? And she pulled out the boxes, one of which had been opened, the other one that was still in its plastic. And tears welled up in her eyes as she began to tell me, I don't know how to do this. It makes no sense to me. And I remember thinking to myself, if it doesn't make sense to her, how are our kids receiving this? And at that point, Anthony and I went on a journey to change the entire approach. We ended up selecting a completely different phonics curriculum. We turned it around within just a couple of months. We'll touch on that later. But flash forward now to two years uh, ago, and that same first grade teacher walked into my room And this time there were tears in her eyes as well, but it was because one of her students who we had not been able to get reading out of books had just finished reading an entire book all by himself, and she was just overwhelmed with gratitude at what Foundations had done for her class, but especially for this student. It was pretty powerful. Awesome. And we're, thank you for sharing that. And we're going to get into kind of your journey as a, as a school and, but before we do that, let's talk a little bit about your personal journeys and where, where you've come from and your, your background and maybe introduce yourself and, and tell us a little bit about Mosaics Public Charter School. Anthony? My name is Anthony Haskett. I grew up here in a small farming community called Homedale, Idaho. I was there K-12 and I stayed in the Treasure Valley, went to school at NNU, Northwest Nazarene University, go Nighthawks or Crusaders, depending on how when you went. Why didn't you uh, say go, go Trojans when you introduced yourself from Homedale? Come on, where's the, where's the love? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we, you know, I was, at, in Homedale, sports were like the main thing and academics were not. Um, so unless you were like a really sporty kid, okay, uh, right. you know, and, and I did, I played tennis and did basketball, but I was not the in crowd of the sports, you okay. know, football wasn't my thing. Um, but uh, you know, from NNU, I got a degree in elementary education. I went and taught uh, second, third, and fourth grade in the Middleton and Nampa school districts. And then I went to the dark side of administration. And Ooh. yeah. Uh, and I started my admin career at Idaho Arts Charter School, which is what introduced me into the charter sector. And I was there as a, a vice principal and then a principal um, for about five years. 
And during that time, I also was able to get a fellowship from Bloom where I was able to write a charter and, and establish Mosaics Public School. Um, you know, our goal was to go into a, a higher poverty area, which is Caldwell, and to really try to provide a STEAM education, which is STEM with the arts, and give these kids some really good um, problem-solving skills and creative skills where they can purposely express an idea through art, but they can also creatively and uh, attack a problem and learn how to collaborate and communicate in multiple ways. So when we, we think of like mosaics and we think about the school that we're here at right now, um, it, it's very missional driven. You know, we've got the, the four C's. We really want our kids critically thinking. We want them to understand creativity. We want them to communicate their ideas effectively and we want them to collaborate in groups. And, and we feel like if you start building these skills from kindergarten up, they're going to serve our kids their entire life. Um, so why, why STEAM? We just feel like it's the future of, of school, and, and we think that all kids need that opportunity, which is why Caldwell. Yeah, and kudos to you. I mean, just I mentioned that to, to you the first time coming to this school, just the feeling you come into this school and the, the, the climate, the, the, the way you're treated, you know, welcomed by, by, the, by the front office. I mean, you've, you've created a really great thing here in just a short period of time in four years. Debbie, what about you? What's your what's your background and what brings you to, to this school? Well, I too attended NNU, but way before Mr. Haskett did. Um, I graduated when it was still NNC, Northwest Nazarene College, um, and we were the Crusaders then. Um, Anthony and I actually met uh, when I was working in the Nampa School District. I was an instructional coach at one of the schools, and he was actually teaching there. And from there, we developed a very fast friendship, and eventually, when we ran into each other at Albertsons uh, over and over again, wow. he said to me one time, I really want to pick your brain about what a really positive school would be. And so we went out to coffee and then he mentioned he was going to go here, there and everywhere. And I just started tagging along and boom, we were working together for mosaics. So that's kind of a quick history there. My own journey, I've been in education now for 33 years. I took a short little stint and stayed home with my twins for about two or three years um, and then jumped right back in as soon as Mosaics opened up. And I've worked in charters. I've worked in big districts. And uh, I have seen this same idea arise over and over again. How do we best educate our children? But more, more specifically, how are we going to really help our students grapple with this complex task of learning to read? It's something that just keeps coming back and it's near and dear to my heart. It is what pull, you know pushed me into my master's and it made me just dive in wondering how do we raise literate citizens who are able to grapple with the complexities of life, but anything that actually gets thrown at them. Yeah. Well, I'm so excited to talk to you guys today and be and for ha to have you guys as part of our Science of Reading in Idaho series. And, you know, we've had uh, some great conversations with people up to now and, and, and learning a lot in, in what other schools are doing and what, what, what makes them effective. And we've talked to a lot of experts in the field. And today's topic, I think we're calling smoke and hot core. <laughs> um, 
and I think it's named after your your husband, right, Debbie? I mean, yes. do, do, okay. Do you want to give him some love while we're while we're <laughs> love live? you, Kev? <laughs> Keep up the core work. <laughs> I asked Debbie, "What should we call this?" And she said, "Smoking hot core." And so, okay, so a little bit off track there. So we're going to talk about curriculum. We've talked a lot about instruction in previous podcasts, and we're going to focus more on on maybe the curriculum aspect today. The school's four years old. You guys been around now for four years and have had a short journey, but there's been a lot packed into those those four years. Can you kind of walk us through, you know, opening a school to where you are now in terms of the journey of your curriculum and, and how you arrived at where you are today? Sure. Um, when we were writing the charter, what we were looking for was a curriculum that really engaged readers and authentic texts. As a teacher, I was frustrated a lot where we were using open court and the text would, it was an anthology, you would read snippets of, let's say, Stuart Little. So you get a chapter of Stuart Little and you work on reading strategies in isolation. And as a teacher, I would get really frustrated because my kids never got to read a full book. So I would actually supplement. I would buy class sets out of scholastic readers and we'd do a read aloud all together because I felt the kids need to have that experience. But it wasn't something that was provided by the district. And I was looking for something as we were starting our charter that would give our kids that opportunity to select a text, be engaged in it. And at the time, every teacher who I knew and respected was really glomming onto this idea of Lucy Calkins and her units of reading. They went to their trainings. They felt it was really effective in teaching their kids. And we, we really believed in the idea. So being a person who thinks, you know, if you adopt one system, we need to kind of adopt everything in the same house. We adopted her units of phonics, her units of reading, and her units of writing. And one of my board members, who also was an educator, was a really big proponent of that. And even Debbie was a proponent of it at the time, although she was a little reticent on the reading workshop. She really believed in the, the writing workshop at the time. So we, we started with Lucy Calkins. And, you know, if you read the charter, it says we want our teachers to become teachers of reading and to really understand what does good reading look like and what's good reading instruction look like. And if you read Lucy's materials, it's very verbose. It was really sent as an idea of you will learn to be a teacher of reading. And it, that was the promise and it was an unfulfilled promise. So great marketing. But excellent marketing. <laughs> excellent marketing. And, you know, the structure of it, like a mini lesson, we're all going to learn the skills that are in the standards, and then you can apply those skills within the self-selected text at the level of the kids. Uh, it was, you know, a, a really big promise, and, and we thought it was going to be the thing that helped us out. And honestly, in our first year of teaching it, what we saw was the kids who knew how to read did really well. My kid excelled in it. In fact, we take what's called the MAP assessments, um, and any kid above the 50th percentile had really, really good growth. It was really awesome for them and their comprehension. However, at the same time, any kid who was below that 50th percentile did not meet any growth marks. We kind of had on our growth chart uh, a tale of two stories, uh, the Matthew effect, so to say, where the rich got richer and the poor got poorer. And when we looked at that data, we felt we couldn't do that as a core curriculum anymore. We had to make a change. So um, that's where Debbie and I were, were discussing. But that's where we started was kind of 
a promise. And then once we ended that first year, we realized our promise wasn't meeting the needs of the kids that we were trying to reach. And we, we said we had to do something different. And was this about the time that that teacher was crying as part of your story? Yeah, that was uh, within the first month of school. Oh, um, We pivoted rather quickly with phonics because it became really obvious very quickly that this was almost like a choose-your-own-adventure kind of approach to phonics, which isn't what kids need. They need that systematic, explicit instruction. And we really needed to get something into the hands of our teachers quickly. So we were able to pivot rather quickly. We looked at a couple of different just phonics programs that were out there. Foundations rose to the top. We had some background experience. Anthony really knew the curricular part of that pretty well. So we went ahead and made that pivot around November. And our teachers started the implementation in December with a really hard start in January. And we saw immediate turnaround and immediate benefits. Teachers felt like, okay, now I can teach. I have something that is laid out for me in a way that I can stand in front of my kids and I know exactly what it is that I'm supposed to deliver and I know exactly what it is that I should be seeing my kids do to know that this is effective and it's having it's having the effect that I need it to. So that was in your first year opening as a school. Yes. So take us through the next three years or fast track to how you got to where you are now. So Talk to us a little bit about where you are. So after that first year, as Anthony said, we we knew that this curriculum was not working for the majority of our students. And we knew that we needed to make a pivot. It was hard at the time to figure out where to go exactly in terms of making a full-blown curricular shift. What we felt like we needed to do is backtrack into that, that promise of making sure that our teachers really knew how to be teachers of reading. So one of the things that we did is help our teachers learn how to teach in small groups through a guided reading approach. It was very much a balanced literacy approach with a heavy emphasis on phonics. Um, The benefits that we saw from that were teachers being able to work with small groups of students, one-on-one with students, and getting, again, authentic text into the hands of students. But what we were still missing was that big curricular framework that would tie it all together. So when you think about Scarborough's rope, we had that that bottom portion, that word recognition portion. We had the phonemic awareness, the phonics, and we, we had our sight words. We, we were moving on track with that, but what we were missing was that big language comprehension strand. And although guided reading was allowing us to dabble in that, it still wasn't all cemented together. And so at the end of last year, we did see test scores getting better. Um, we, we actually thought there might be an implementation dip with our guided reading approach. There wasn't. We saw that our kids were actually still doing okay, and, and we saw some improvements. But as more and more about the science of reading was coming out and it was becoming more mainstream in conversation, we knew that we ethically and morally had to make a shift sooner than what we were anticipating because if there's one thing we need to do it's be it's it's equip our students to be able to read any text eventually that's put in front of them we saw the biggest the biggest gap happen right around that third grade mark where our texts would change from being very heavily picture supported to really just text. And that's where we saw the ground beginning to get really wobbly for students. And so we needed to get into that language comprehension piece coupled with a really strong phonics and phonemic awareness program so that we could move our students forward holistically. And that's kind of where 
that that's what led us into our we got to make a change now. And so we did last year. And that's where when we chose to adopt wit and wisdom, our smoke and hot core. <laughs> wit and wisdom is the, is the smoke and hot core that you refer to. Along with foundations. With, so, <laughs> so what are the key pieces of, of those that you would say create that core and what, what's, what's really important in those? So when we were looking at our curricular framework, we wanted to ensure that our kids were getting all of Scarborough's rope. So we, we knew that Foundations was really successful for our kids. We knew our teachers didn't need to learn a new program. So one thing we said was we need a program that complements Foundations and does not supplant it. When we also looked at it, we said we need a really comprehensive approach to language and vocabulary development, building background knowledge. Natalie Wexler put out a book called The Knowledge Gap, and it really discusses how building background knowledge in students allows them to understand the world in much better ways because they actually have an understanding of a lot of different topics. So when we were initially looking at our, our curricula that we could choose from, we wanted to make sure both of those things were happening. We also looked at ed reports to make sure that they're meeting the, the standards. And what we found was there are a lot of curricula out there that don't meet the standards, Lucy Calkins being one of them. And we wanted to ensure that didn't happen again to our kids. So when we went and we looked at different curricula, we ended up winnowing it down to three. And through a process with a curriculum committee and our teachers, we came up with Wit and Wisdom, which is really focused on using re reading skills to learn content knowledge. It's a very different approach than what we typically have seen in more of the basal readers, where you learn a skill and you apply it over multiple days on the same text. This one really is about leveraging your reading skills, which is more real life, and applying it to text in an authentic way. So, for example, yesterday we were in a, a classroom in second grade, and they are talking about the seasons and how trees change over the seasons. And in one class, which is a little bit behind the other class, they're talking about chlorophyll, they're talking about pigments and leaves, they're talking about sugar content and why that changes the leaves' colors. And then in the next book... It's more of a, a story, and it's talking about a tree, and the tree loses its leaves over time, and it, it's the story of the tree of starting in spring and going to summer, going to fall, going to winter, and, and it's a life cycle. And the kids were sequencing the text, and they were utilizing pictures to do that. So what we're doing is we're learning really good vocabulary. We're learning about the life cycle of a plant. We're learning very complex uh, vocabulary in science. But we're also applying key ideas and details and sequencing that, which is a second grade standard. So in the old way, you'd say, we're going to learn about sequencing. And here's an article that helps us sequence. But because it's all integrated, kids are much more likely to learn it and they're more excited about the text. It's been really fun to, to see it in action. And I feel like our kids are way more engaged now than they were in the last three years. Another piece is, watching how much our kids are interacting with each other and with the text. So this program deliberately builds in a lot of oral language development and listening comprehension, which we know later on down the road is going to become a really important skill as they are trying to develop even more comprehension as, as they get into those higher level complex texts. So it's great to have watched our kids at the very beginning of the year not really know how to talk with one another, let alone talk about this text or this text-based question 
to now when they're not only talking, but they're using hand signals to say, I agree, I disagree, and I build, and and being able to use some of that language, those formal language registers are really coming out, and we're seeing them begin to transfer into other curricular areas. So I'm walking into a math lesson, and I hear a first grader say, well, I agree with so-and-so because they're using complete sentences. They'll say things like, I'm noticing, or I'm wondering if, in science. Music to your ears as an yeah. educator, right? To hear those those kind of comments from mm-hmm. students. I uh, love it. Yeah. It seems like you guys have a, some, a really good system in in place to make decisions on, on curriculum and instruction. I mean, you're, to be able to make that pivot, you know, it was more than just intuition. Talk to me about your systems that you have in place that's that's embedded to assess what's working and and what's not working. I think there's a, a few different data metrics we look at. The first one is going to be the NWEA map assessment. We really appreciate this assessment because it's a nationally normed assessment. It allows us to see how kids are growing over time and it gives us some really specific mm-hmm. data in different strands. So you can look at um, your reading specifically, and then they've got a language comprehension or language usage assessment. And we're able to see trends of kids. And what's awesome about it is it actually takes a kid based where their first percentile is in the fall, and it projects where they should be in the spring. And you can see, did the kids meet the growth metrics? And we can look and see, did our high performers meet their growth metrics to stay at the same percentile ranking or exceed it? And how did our low, lower performers do? So that's one definite data metric we use. We also use the IRI when we look at our, our decoding, because at the end of the day, that's going to be one of our assessments that the state's looking at as well. And we want to make sure that when we're looking at the data within the IRI, it breaks down into different categories. So the phonemic awareness, listening comprehension for kindergarten, we've got letter recognition as well in kindergarten, and then it moves into decoding and vocabulary and spelling and we can deconstruct an overall score into those subcategories and really kind of see what's working, what's not working. And one thing we've done that's been really effective is utilizing a data team approach where we sit down with the teachers and we look at this data and say, okay, what is it that is really helping us meet these uh, targets that we have? And at the same time, we're looking at our foundations data because that should correlate pretty well with our like IRI. And what we found is that sometimes we misaligned what our instruction looked like or one teacher did something a little different. We can learn from each other. And that's been really good. Uh, Our first year, we hit about 50% of our kids being proficient on the IRI. Last year, we ended at 70% proficient. So these conversations and this like data examination has been really fruitful when it comes to our student outcomes. But when we come to that, that language, comprehension, language usage, we were looking at our data and it wasn't making as big of an impact as we hoped. So we have made huge gains. I want to say that like our first year, we scored on the ISAT 20% and 23% proficient in third and fourth grade. It was really, really disappointing. We were about 20 to 25% under the state average. And with our guided reading approach and us looking at data, even though it was an incomplete uh, curriculum adoption, we did exceed the state average in three of four grade levels, so we made, we made up the gap. And I think that just goes to talk about the power of data and how that 
conversation around that can impact kids because we know the outcomes. But now what we've done is we've given teachers like an actual tool that they don't have to think about all the pieces and parts now. And that I feel like is going to push us into that next level where we're going to still examine the same data, but we're now giving them a much better tool to execute their instruction with. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great. There's been a lot of consistent theme in all of the conversations I've had of just obviously how important it is to look at the data. Debbie, who's the bigger data geek, you or, or Anthony? Right over there. <laughs> Anthony, I can imagine. I can imagine the two of you, though, together in a room looking at data would be a pretty rich conversation, I'm sure. Well, and I think the other rich part, um, Anthony alluded to, sharing that data with teachers. Because anytime you're going to make a really big shift in curriculum, you you need to make sure that your teachers understand not just the, the what of data, but how we're going to actually address it. And I think that that's another part. You, you know, you asked, what systems do we have in place to actually make these curricular moves? And I think we have this the data that Anthony was just talking about. But then we also have this ability to just connect with our teachers pretty instantaneously going over that data. And being a small charter school, we're able to make moves really quickly based on what we see the data telling us. So we're fortunate. We didn't need to go through a year-long pilot or tampering with lots of different types of programs. We were able to narrow it down to three that we knew were going to meet that language comprehension piece pretty quickly. Teachers were able to look at all of the programs comprehensively. And then we were able to pull together committees that looked at it comprehensively as well. We had parents, we had board members, and we had teachers all looking at different parts and pieces. And then we also had the guiding vision of Mosaics so that we selected a curriculum that would complement what Mosaics is about. The Wit and Wisdom framework follows an inquiry-oriented framework as well for STEAM-based education. And it's aligned very tightly with another project-based learning framework that we follow from Educurious so that everything, the essential question and everything students do goes back to that essential question and being able to answer it. And every single module builds toward the answering of that essential question in the end of module task. But then again, brilliantly, they've put together every module with a focusing question and then they have tasks that build toward the end of that module's task, and then each module's task builds toward the end of module assessment. So you have constant feedback coming back at you as a teacher to see, are my kids gaining traction with these complex texts? Are they gaining the ability to decipher, to interpret, to analyze, to be able to apply? Are they gaining content knowledge as well as reading strategies and skills? So it's just a really brilliantly aligned pattern. And there's so much data that teachers and Anthony and I can look at as well to really make sure that we are seeing those jumps from our students. Did you have to really work hard with your teachers to get them to become data literate? Or has that been, I mean, is that, it, I mean, because it's one thing to have the data. It's the other thing to be able mm-hmm. to make sense of the data and then, then take action on it. And I think we take it for granted that in education, everyone is, is data literate and you have data and, and you understand it and how to, how to respond to it. What has been your, I guess, experience with 
with your teachers in that regard? And what have you done to help them become even more data literate to make, yeah, make action, take action on, on the data? I think one of the biggest things we did was establish data teams. It really is understanding what data is as well. When teachers a lot of times come into schools, they feel that their data is an evaluation and it's not. And that that is something that as a leader, we've had to be really clear about. This is a point in time and of how your kids are showing on this outcome. And it's not an evaluative tool and like your data is bad, your data is good. It's okay, your kids are here and they need to get here. What's the route to get them moving? And I know that one downfall is we use data in evaluations, right? So as a principal, I have to have data points to talk to our teachers. And I feel like that can put some tension in the data or teachers compare themselves to other teachers and they're like, well, you're just better than me. And it has taken us probably our first year of just showing the data. It's like, this is data. This is where your kids are. It's not in a judgment. We need your kids to get here. Let's talk about how to make your kids get from here to here. And, and after hearing that multiple times over months, we finally get to a point where people go, okay, how are my kids doing? And it becomes a part of the normal conversation. So they're not even just reading the data, but emotionally looking at the data was something we had to overcome. And what's been really fun is we had a training where we took our NWA map assessment. There's a great report that shows a school and where all the kids are fitting within their percentile ranks. I was able to show last year's versus this year's. And as a staff, we all looked at each other's data. It's not even just like grade level. And we look for trends. We say, wow, where can we celebrate the success? Like what happened in fourth grade last year where many kids were performing below the 20th percentile and now half of that many are starting below the 20th percentile. Like we celebrate it. We say, hey, look at that. That's awesome. They maintained their growth that they had at the end of the year. Um, so I think there's definitely like instruction that we had to do on how to read the data. There's instruction on what does this data mean for instruction and there's protocols that we just kind of go through that help us guide the, the conversation and, and keep us focused. Because one thing I think we do in education really well is take data. One thing I think we do poorly is execute on what we see. Right. And it sounds like you're doing that really well. It sounds like your data geekiness is really starting to rub <laughs> off on some people. Am I right? Oh, yeah. I actually have teachers now who are like, you wouldn't believe this data. This is so amazing. And they'll, they'll run to my office and they're like, look at this kid's They'll growth. print it off and put it in our boxes. <laughs> look at this. And we have teachers just begging for data teams. They they love them. They want them to be even longer than what they currently are. It's 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 fabulous. And they cheer each other on. I'm thinking back to that data day that Anthony's talking about. And and the whoops and celebrations wow, okay. to see our kids moving because it really has created a culture that all kids are our kids. It's not just my personal grade level or even my personal class. All of our kids belong to all of us. And so we want everybody to succeed. As it should be. Good for you. So it seems like four years in, you're operating on all cylinders. Am I right? Like, no. Have you, have, have you arrived? No. Just most. <laughs> no. No. It sounds like a lot of things are going well. Let's talk about what what are those things on the horizon that you're looking at to, to make some big jumps going forward or small jumps? Yeah, I think the things that are going well, we've established practices of examining data and talking about data, talking about kids, really pushing a culture of we, not me. I feel like when we look at those components, it's definitely we've 
done a lot of right things. I think when it comes to adopting a new curriculum, it's a heavy lift. Mm -hmm. There is pacing that we got to figure out. There's mapping out what standards are we hitting. There's a whole bunch of unpacking that has to go along with that. So even though we, I feel like we have the right tool to, to achieve the best we can, it goes back to learning how the tool works and how it all fits together. And then how do we put that into our schedule and our day and how do our kids get the skills to execute it at a high level as well as our teachers. So the, the heavy lift this year is really implementing wit and wisdom. And it's actually been really difficult in so many ways because it's constructed differently than the traditional reading skill approach. And some of our teachers have had to have a shift in mindset on that. And I think it's not that it's wrong. I think anytime you have an implementation, it takes time. And then when you think about reading, like, we wanted to get reading right first. That was a painful priority for us. And we have been really focusing on that the last three years, four years now. Mm-hmm. But our math program isn't where we want it. And that's like the next big thing is right now we've got not quite a piecemeal approach to math. We have a, a core curriculum that we use, but there's a lot of holes in it. Teachers don't love it. And the next domino to fall is going to be math because kids have to be able to read to do math. Kids have to be able to read to do social studies. Kids have to be able to read to do science. So that's our painful priority. But kids also need to be able to do math at a high level. So if we can get our core subjects really solidified as an organization, we'll get there. But that's definitely not a we're there yet. And we know that we've got work to do over the next three to four years to get both functioning at a very high level. Yeah, great. Uh, you, Debbie, what would you add? And by the way, I love that there is student chatter <laughs> and laughter coming through. I hope that shows up in, in the podcast. I keep hearing it. I'm like, where is that coming from? Um, which is great. So we're not piping that in. That is coming from these walls in the conference room. I don't know where it's coming from. <laughs> not insulated it's, well. That's <laughs> great. So, Debbie, what would you add to, to what Anthony said? You know, I, I would second what what Anthony shared just, you know, in terms of that math vision, um, you know, smoke and hot core, where it came from truly is the idea that a lot of times we look at intervention as a way to plug the gap that we see a student have. And it's it's not just intervention. Intervention can help. But what it really is, is having a core instructional program that truly is executed well on all levels. And so, to second what Anthony was saying, that's that's the next big piece I see with wit and wisdom. We need to really continue supporting our teachers so that they are able to execute it very well in order for our students to be able to receive it very well and and actually be able to apply everything that they're learning. And then I would agree the next big domino is going to be math. Um, we need to make sure that we have a, a math program that is also a smoke and hot core. And so it is the next big lift that I see. You guys are doing wonderful things. Uh, four years in, I know, well, I don't know, but I, I would imagine <laughs> starting a brand new school, especially with this little thing called COVID somewhere in between when you started the school to where you are now has been a significant undertaking to say the least. So kudos to you guys and thank you for being part of, of our series with Science of Reading in Idaho Schools. Um, you may have people reaching out to you to, to learn more about your smoking hot core. So <laughs> We'd um, love that. So good stuff. Well, again, Anthony, Debbie, thank you so much for being part of our, our series, doing wonderful things here at Mosaics Public School. 
And for those of you who are listening, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Bloom Together in our Science of Reading series in Idaho education. We look forward to sharing more stories for of schools all around our state that are doing great things like Mosaics here. So thank you, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us to explore education leadership, innovation, and impact here on Bloom Together. We encourage you to continue these dialogues in your communities, classrooms, and organizations. Be sure to visit bloom.org slash together where you can discover more episodes or click join the conversation if you'd like to be a guest. Until next time, keep learning, keep blooming, and keep making an impact one conversation at a time.